team for a message again this morning. <clears throat> There's a key word in John 15, it, the word remain. And we already looked at the one passage where it is contained, the importance of joy. Jesus said that my joy might remain in you. And I would ask the question, what would others say if you offered them your joy? Would they be up to saying, sure? <clears throat> or would it be, nah, that's okay. Uh, no, I really want you to have it. No, nah, no, nah, you know, just, you should probably just keep what you got. Uh, looks about like as exciting as weed in your garden. I'm just not into that. Got enough of my own headaches, got enough of my own troubles, and it looks like your troubles kind of wear you rather than joy, so yeah, just keep it. That's all right. <clears throat> what I find inspiring is Jesus' joy. He's, he's offering the joy and that it would remain in them. And it was attractive to the disciples even the very night when Jesus' friend had just walked out of him two chapters before this and was going to betray him and even have him killed. Still the joy of Christ was attractive to his disciples. That to me is inspiring. John fifteen sixteen. there's something else that he would like to remain. He had not chosen me, Jesus speaking, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now we read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We're going to turn there a little bit later. But that's the description of the fruit of Jesus' life. As you consider the fruit of the Spirit, and as you consider the life of Christ, you can obviously see the parallel of how Jesus lived out exactly in that fruit. Now, Andrew Murray states in his book, The Masters in Dwelling, I was inspired by a couple of his um, thoughts. He writes in a way that's way deeper than what I can understand. But if I read about three sentences of his I'm good to think for probably three weeks. I can't read one of his chapters. But he, he, he states this. We study the footsteps of Jesus. We study the traits of his character. We pray for grace to be like him and yet succeed very little. Why? That's a good question. It's a very good question for us to consider. We study Jesus' footsteps. We do this all our life. We study the traits of his character. That's, that's what we do all of our life, every day, especially on Sunday. And we pray for grace to be more like him and yet succeed very little. Why? This is what Andrew Murray answers. We want to pluck the fruit of his life from our life. We want to match the fruit, but the root is absent. We're missing the very root of the very life of Jesus. The fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness will be attained on occasion, but not remain. It's like, wow, that's, that's how we become so easy. I know a lot of people who are patient for a week. I know a lot of people who can love for even a couple of months. And that are gentle. Oh, they're gentle. Uh, in fact, when they read Scripture in, in, in church, it's like, where did that come from? 
It's like the sing-song voice. It's like, wow. But listen to them when they get uptight about four days later. Ooh. Wish that sing-song voice would have, you know, like, remained. And this is what Andrew Murray states. And then I'm done quoting Andrew Murray. Until we are one with him in the principles of his life, it is vain to seek and copy the graces of his life. I agree with him. Until we are one with him in the principles of his life, it is vain to seek to copy the graces of his life. I so want patience, and I so want to love like I ought to love, and I so want to have joy like I ought to have joy. And yet, having those things can make me feel superior to others. There can be a completely wrong motive in any one of those. But somehow we seek that, you know, I want to copy that trait of Christ. Oh, I want want that to be real. And yet, if I'm missing the root of who Christ was and how he lived in his life, it's not going to remain, sadly. I want to look at the great events of Jesus' life today and look how they demonstrate the principles or the roots of his life. Um, I'm going to write these on the board. Um, I believe these are the roots of how Jesus lived his life. whiteboard for a long time. It really smells up here right now. If I look at Christ's life, there, there's, there's a word, I believe, that says how he lived his life. And that is dependence on the Father. Dependence. As I look at the event of Christ's death, does it not show Surrender. And as I look at the resurrection, does it not show the trust that he had in the Father? If the root of your life is these words, you're getting there. But there's one more thing that I think for Christ, was it just dependence? Was it just surrender? Was it just trust? That was the root of his life? I believe there's another word that goes over here. And that is, as you look at all those, they had to come to the word absolute. And if that word is lacking, I don't care how many books you read, how many sermons you listen to on YouTube, or how many times you come to church, or how many Sunday schools you sit in, sit through, endure, whatever you want to summarize it as, fruit will not remain. These were essentials in Christ's life, of who he was. Absolute dependence. Absolute surrender. And absolute trust. The root of dependence exemplified in his life. I, I, this, I, I don't understand this. I, you know, some people try to explain the Trinity, you know, have at it. I, I don't understand. It's beyond me. 
But this is what Jesus said of the Father. Well, this is what Jesus said of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself. Now, you want to know about absolute dependence? The Son can do nothing of himself. John 5.30, I can of my own self do nothing. He restates the same thing in the same, same chapter. John 5.19, John 5.30. John 8.28, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak those things. That amazes me. Um, this is the one who spoke the world into existence. Before Abraham was, I am. That's, that's him. This is Christ. And he says, I do nothing. But as my Father has taught me, that's what I say. Absolute dependence. This would go a long way in, in my life. And I think it would go a long way in all of our lives. If this was the root of our life. Lord, should I say something to him about that? Don't just open your mouth and go after him. Dependence on the Father. Lord, should I say something to my wife the way she... <clears throat> Absolute dependence on the Father will make a world of difference in the fruit that will show in how we live life. If you're trusting in your Schrock blood, your Hershey blood, your Martin blood, your Wagner blood, to pull the right answers together, I'm telling you, that's what we do too many times. We go by what we've been taught and how I've been instructed and how I've learned the process of life. I'm glad we're instructed. It's important to instruct. But friends, absolute dependence on the Father, it needs to be at the root of our life if our fruit's going to remain. Or else the Miller blood's going to come out of me one time. And it ain't going to be what the Father wants. It's what I want. Um, when I'm up here, I study and I write every word down that I'm planning on saying. I don't want to get it said right, but I write down every word that I plan on saying. Why? Because I really feel um, there's a higher account given if you're up here and you're called to preach. It, not an act of importance, it's an act of higher accountability. Because you will pay if you say it wrong. That's just the reality of it. So I, I study hard, and I don't want to misstate something, so I write it down. <clears throat> and so I realize there's, there's a dependence that I need. I really need God's leading and His blessing on what I'm going to say. But friends... What about when I'm alone? Or maybe it's just my wife there. Or maybe it's just you there. Then you don't need to depend so much on the Father for what you're going to say. Right? Well, I just get so wound up that I can't help myself. Really? Then who are you going to depend on for what to say? And, and you know, when, when that becomes our lot, that... You know, I want to depend on the Father when I'm speaking up in Sunday school class or something like that. But when I'm at home, I can say really what I want to say. You know, nobody else is listening. Do you think your fruit will remain? Absolutely not. 
Though no one else hears the snide remark you made about someone else, though no one else heard you criticize someone in an ungodly way, because you did it quietly, I can excuse myself. No big deal. It's not, it's not of consequence. And yet, is that being absolutely dependent on the Father of what I should say, how I should live? This is what Jesus' testimony was. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. To me, that's very sobering, and it goes a lot farther than someone who's trying to be a champion of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Because there's a reality in his life that there's, there's fruit growing out of his life because of his dependence on God the Father. <clears throat> dependence. Um, this is not original with, with me. This is from Johnny Erickson. She wrote in a devotional that I read last week. You work hard. You had a stressful day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're awake? All right. You get home and you unwind. What, how do you unwind? That was her question. How do you unwind? All of us know what stressful days are. All of us know what hard work. We're exhausted. Come home. How do you unwind? This is what she said. Most pick up their cell phone, find the, fire up the internet. This is how I unwind. That's who we are. You want to wind somebody up, take their cell phone away from them. What do you think, young people? <laughs> the old people, right? Like if they forget their phone, do you know how wound up they get? Some people wear a plain suit to church so they can hide the cell phone in their pocket because they can't leave home without it. They're dependent on that thing. And this is what Johnny stated. How you unwind daily is what your life is dependent on. Period. How you unwind is what your life is dependent on. Yeah, but that's not me, you know. I know of drug addicts, you know, that the way that they get their fix is obviously by drugs. But I'm not an addict of anything, right? <clears throat> Absolute dependence. Not just dependent. All of us are dependent on God, especially when things go wrong, especially when we need Him, especially when we sense, oh, you know, how are we going to get through this? Obviously, all of us, anyone, even an ungodly man, cries out to God many times in those situations. But somebody who has the fruit that remains in their life knows something of absolute dependence. He knows where he unwinds at the end of the day. Jesus said, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The world says, We'll give you rest. Help us. Let us 
tell you what you really need. Let us tell you how other people are weird or strange. And as you read that, you feel better about yourself. Maybe it's Facebook that you unwind with. Maybe I, I have no idea what your unwinding point is. But friends, when we're absolutely dependent on God, it, it has something to do with where we unwind at the end of the day and how we live our life through the day. <clears throat> this is the difference between dependence and absolute dependence. I love Colossians 3, the way he states this. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall ye also appear with him in glory. Uh, can you identify with that? When Christ, who is my life, there is an absolute dependence on this. He, he is my life. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to have you read that together. <clears throat> and I'm going to split you up into groups. So if you're able to find that Galatians 5, we'll read that together. <clears throat> the next root we want to look at in Christ's life is a root of surrender. That was exemplified in his death. <clears throat> Excuse me. Galatians 5:22 to 24. Now a lot of times I've heard the fruits of the spirit or fruit of the spirit read I don't have any idea how many times. Many, many, many times. Can anyone here tell me without looking what's the verse right after the fruit of the spirit? Well, I'm quiet like you. I didn't know either. <clears throat> But it has a lot to do with having the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'd like the people that are under 35 years old to read verses 22 and 23. And I would like the people over 35 years old to read verse 24 when that time comes. So, under 35, let's read verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. You younger guys out showing us. Thank you. One of the most solemn lessons in life. Death is a solemn thing. Crucifixion is an awful thing. Uh, there's no one in their right mind. Now, there's probably people who are out of their mind who say, Oh, no, no, you need to be joyful in the crucifixion. Now, there's nobody in their right mind who looks at crucifixion as an easy thing. Crucifixion is an awful thing. Is it in the garden? Remember in the garden as Jesus was in great agony and sweated to the point where it looked like he was bleeding drops of blood? He was in such great agony to die the death of crucifixion? Do you think it's, we can look and say, oh, you know, this crucifying our own flesh, no sweat. You know, that's just what we do. There's, there's an agony involved. Is it any wonder it's not easy for us? But this is how easy believism affects us. If it's not easy for me to overcome something, maybe I can be okay with it and call it grace or an excuse it as an excuse. And, hey, our attempt for fruit will remain our attempt for fruit will remain. We'll still try to be patient. We'll still try to be kind, although it's extremely hard. Right? 
will still try to be good and gracious and will be loving and joyful. Our attempt will remain. But that's not what he wants to remain. He, he wants our fruit to remain. There's a world of difference there. Now, Galatians 5 lists those fruit of the Spirit. And then it lists in the next, very next verse to surrender to have that fruit. If we remove crucifying the flesh in verse 24 with the affections and lust, from our way of life, the fruit of the Spirit will also be lost. Those are connected right there. You know, we look at this, I, I tend to look at this as the fruit of the Spirit is something we, we get up to speed with. Uh, maybe I haven't loved like I should, but you know, now I'm on a roll, I'm getting up to speed. And after I get up to speed, I'll hit cruise control and it, I'm set. We got this. Fruits will not remain in our lives, only in our imaginations, if the flesh isn't crucified. Whether it's Schrock flesh, Miller flesh, Coons flesh, whatever flesh, that has to be crucified. We realize we are not good enough on our own. We've never been taught good enough to live a holy life that would be acceptable to God, we must crucify our flesh and be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ in order for the fruit of Christ's life to live through us. But today, we live in a world that sin is defended rather than the flesh crucified. That's an easy place to get to. Young people, it's easy to defend sexual habits. And people say, well, we have, my habits don't involve other people. So what's wrong with that? Is it crucifying the flesh, the flesh with the affections and lust? That's the question. Timothy summarizes that. It says, flee also youthful lust. What's that mean? Flee youthful lust. Oh, yeah, but I don't want somebody to feel condemned, you know, because, you know, they've had this hard and they, you know, I, I can understand that they're struggling with lust and, and um, that kind of thing. And we can, we can talk our way into it. But the Bible says, flee youthful lust. In other words, if it's there, then you should be somewhere on the journey on the other, oh, other way. You can't be hanging around and saying, well, somewhere it's, Surely it's okay for me to do this. You can't follow lust and righteousness at the same time. It says, flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Here it again is saying, crucify that flesh. Turn away from that desire and run after the fruits of the Spirit. You can't have both. <clears throat> I wish I could say, you know, here's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, love, joy, peace, I'll make you that list. You work at that, and everything's going to be okay. But Jesus says, the fruit needs to remain. Well, I, I really believe we need to get a hold of that. And for right fruit to be in my life, there needs to be surrender, but not just surrender, there needs to be absolute surrender to what Jesus and His Word has to say to me. I appreciate William Booth. He was once asked to read. Uh, well, let me tell you, first of all, who William Booth was in brief. He started a Christian work, Salvation Army. He worked in that affected 58 countries and colonies. Now, that's 
that's pretty effective in reaching out. William Booth was once asked to reveal the secret of his success. He hesitated, and then it says, tears came to his eyes, and he said, I will tell you the secret God has had all of me there was. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. That's the secret. God has had all there was of me. I don't know where life's twists and turns has brought you in your spiritual life. But can you say with William Booth, hey, there's people with bigger brains and there's people with greater opportunity. But I can honestly say, he's got all of me. Um, When that is our testimony, I'm telling you, the fruit will remain. Turn to Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> For the fruit to remain, a life needs to be based on the roots of absolute dependence, absolute surrender. Then we're looking at the word trust. Now, Elvie led some songs this morning. Um, I know whom I have believed. That's a song of trust. Trust is a word that we don't use a lot. It seems like um, in the way Scripture does in our day, it seems like a word that's kind of getting past this. But that was a root of Christ's life. It was trust. Trust in who God is and what He is. Um, The question is, is what if things go wrong in life? Are you sitting here thinking, what if things go wrong in life? Uh, Not too long from now, you'll be thinking, things have gone wrong. Now what? Because that's just the reality of the fallen world we live in. I like the story of two men traveling down a road. They were hurrying on a bit. They were looking back occasionally at the city where they came from, seeing if they were being followed, because what they just came out of, no idea what was going to happen to maybe them next. This was in the Middle East. They just left a place with mobs and riots going on. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a mob or a riot. I've been in the middle of one with people yelling at me, I can tell you it's not a whole lot of fun. I can tell you another thing. If you're the friend of me and I'm in the middle, (laughs) there's a good chance you probably don't want to say, no, that's my buddy there. There's a good chance you'll leave for the next down too, checking your back to make sure. I wonder if anybody's following me. These two men got to the little town, sat at a park bench, trying to figure out where do we go, what do we do, and what have we just witnessed in the last three days? Someone out of the blue walks out, sorry, walks over, sits on the park bench beside them, and says, what's up? Why do you look so sad? Cleopas turned to the stranger who came to them out of the blue and said, well, haven't you heard all the things in Jerusalem, the chaotic things going on the last three days? Haven't you heard? The stranger says, What things? And Cleopas says, Well, here's my list. And he had a list. 
What if things go wrong? Luke 25, sorry, 24, verse 25. The men to Emmaus, they arrived in Emmaus. Emmaus, Jesus met them there. That's what happened. Jesus says, what things? And Cleopas goes over his list. Verse 25, Jesus answered and said unto him, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Trust. When the world's getting torn apart, no matter if you have a little world going to pieces or a big world going to pieces, however you're viewing it right now. Jesus was telling these men, now wait a minute. That wasn't chaos. God was right there. He knew everything going on from beginning to end. The prophets even was trying to tell you about it. God had every move of that in His hand. Why didn't you trust Him? Trust. I, I, this is my testimony. I, I find the most beautiful person is a person who can trust through suffering. Not just a surrender to the suffering. Not just saying, oh, you know, here we got to go through this and we got to somehow be joyful and we got to somehow endure and get through this. But you want to see a beautiful person. It's someone who can trust God, that God has a plan greater than I now understand. It's not making sense. Life is chaos. But God has a plan. And that's where I'm going to trust. I was puzzled a long time in my life about Luke 21 where Jesus tells his disciples, you will be betrayed by parents, brethren, kinsfolk, friends, and some of you they'll cause to be put to death. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But then he says, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. So, Trying to wrap my head around that. They're going to kill you. They're going to cause you to be put to death. But not a hair of your head will perish. I mean, a whole lot worse than your, a hair of your head perish. You know, what is he saying here? Um, even in a Christian who has to go through a, an experience of death. This is what he promised. Not one hair of your head will perish, no matter the chaos, no matter the lift of chaotic things that are happening. Trust Him. Not one hair of your head will fall out that He does not account for. He's saying, I got this. Trust me. Jesus used that terminology often. Because there's a lot of us who can identify, right? The very hairs of your head are numbered. Why would he say that? Because he's saying, I understand. You got your list of chaos in life that you say, God, do you know what things are going on? And God's saying, what? I got this. I, you know how many hairs are on your head? I got that too. 
Can you trust me on that? Trust is exemplified in the resurrection. How can that be? Jesus had an absolute trust in the Father that he would raise him up on that third day. It is spoken of eight times in the New Testament. This statement is recorded. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And I don't understand all that, how the Trinity works. But I do understand there was a trust involved that the Son gave his life, went into the grave, committed his trust in the Father, knowing that the Father knew every hair that dropped from his head. He knew every circumstance. He knew every chaotic thing happening at Calvary. And he knew his Father would raise him again. The biggest failure in life is not failing in something you do. Listen to me carefully. And if this is wrong, please correct me. The biggest failure in life is not failing in something you do. But even a greater failure is the biggest failure in your life is losing your trust in God. Assurance of salvation. Um, I appreciate Stan sharing on that. You understand assurance in your salvation has a lot to do with your trust in God. A lot to do with your trust in God. He's something that we can trust. He's someone who we can trust. We don't want to be a people who trust God for things that He never said He would do. There's there's some people that fall in that ditch. I mean, they're they're quoting things from the Old Testament that you know. This I was talking with a fellow the other day, and, and he was pretty intense. He was like, you know, this scripture and this scripture, and that all means this. And I don't want to say because you can easily go back to it. But he was adamant about what this meant, and it's like. I can read my Bible sideways, upside down. I can read any translation I've ever heard of, any commentary I've ever heard of. And none of that means anything like that for us today that I know of. We don't want to read more into Scripture and say, well, I trust them for something that I can imagine. That's, that's ridiculous. But when he says, I save to the uttermost, I can trust him for that. When he says he can perfect in us every good work, what do you think? Well, yeah, I don't know. See, what he says, I believe we're called to absolute trust in the Father to carry us through. When we read this book of promises, the principles of us, trust God says that He will save us from our sins and deliver us and set us free. And it says, who the Son sets free, you shall be free indeed. I believe there's a trust in God the Father, not just somewhat, but an absolute trust in the Father that is the root of our life that will bring forth fruit. I say again, as Andrew Murray stated, we study the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We study the traits of His character. We pray for grace to be like Him. And yet succeed very little. Why? I'm working on it. I'm working on better fruit. Or is it these things that there's a lack of root that resembles the DNA of Christ in our life? Because that lack of root, how are you going to have good fruit when there's no root? 
The roots of tr- absolute trust, absolute surrender, absolute dependence. I believe that will produce the fruit that will remain. If you're able to kneel for prayer, let's kneel for prayer at this time.